We're in a new series, a series entitled What the World Needs Now Is. Thank you, Bert Bacharach, and uh, uh, the many times that I've heard that song. Uh, I've, even as I've been uh, studying the passage that we're going to read today, if you want to go there, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I've been reminded about uh, or of how right Bert was when he wrote those lines. What the world needs now, most of all, is love. Not just um, the love that he was talking about, you know, like a, more of a phileo love, a brotherly love. Not the love that we, uh, you know, talked about last week in our love songs, the romantic or eros love. Uh, what the world needs now is God's love, agape love, a love that seeks to give unconditionally and without, uh, you know, any expectation of return. Uh, I, I, I'm more affirmed in this assertion as I read the headlines. I, I read them. I, my, this is an incredible machine. You can read, you know, websites uh, before you even come out and preach. It's so cool. I might start surfing right now. Who knows? But uh, uh, I, I read the, the, the headlines on the New York Times, and as I'm looking at them, you know, war in Russia with Ukraine, uh, you know, the, the, the conflict in Israel and the terrorism attacks there, um, uh, the strife that that's causing here in our homeland as people take sides, uh, 2024, election year, yay, uh, uh, all kinds of things, all kinds of strife-creating things uh, that if we would only, by God's grace, uh, make room for him, ha-ha, and, and, and allow his love to flow through us and to us, wars, no longer a thing, conflicts and rivalries, disagreements and division, no longer a thing where love reigns. Uh, we could go to the headlines of your personal lives, and I end up there a lot of times as a pastor. People come to me with whatever's emblazoned across the top of their page, right? Uh, my kids won't talk to me. I don't know what I did to deserve that, but they, you know, my adult children have basically shunned me and will no longer uh, you know, hang out with me. What do I do? Um, my adult kids disappointed me, and they made horrible choices, and it's it's just having a, a, you know, a, a disastrous effect on them and on our family. What do I do? My spouse is my spouse. What do I do? <laughs> I have these other Christians in my world that I don't agree with. What do I do? Probably lots of things, but all of them would be encased in this one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then take that love that God has given you and love others as you love yourselves. I'd say it's gonna smooth out everything, but it's where we must start. It's what we learned last week as we got to this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. It's in this letter that Paul wrote to a church in the first century in a place called Corinth that was kinda like ancient Vegas. They had lots of problems. I'm so glad churches don't have any more problems anymore. All the problems are done for churches. If you're new here, that's sarcasm. I use it a lot. Um, churches are still a mess, but Corinth was particularly messy. Divided in for the first chapter, Paul, it's almost like he's answering a mailbag of problems that have come to his attention in Corinth. And the first one he deals with is factions, divisions in the church. Everybody had kind of picked their spiritual hero, and they had divided along those lines. So this section, you guys liked Paul. This section right here, you guys were all about Peter and what he said. This section over here, you guys love this guy Apollos because he was a great orator, a great communicator. And you guys were like, we're better than all you because we follow Jesus. And uh, 
And everybody was against each other just based on whose face was on the t-shirt you were wearing. Yeah, so grateful it doesn't happen in the modern church anymore that people don't divide over such silly things, but they did in Corinth. In chapter six, you find out that Corinth was um, a, a church where no one was afraid to take each other to court. They, they haven't you know, gotten matured to the point where they realize as Christians, brothers and sisters, maybe we should talk before we sue. And so Paul addresses that in chapter eight. You get this whole section on something that we don't wrestle with so much in our day and age, but they were, they, they were struggling over whether it was right or wrong to eat food that had been offered to pagan idols. It's a long story, don't have time to do it. But there were many in that church who thought that they had cornered the market on knowledge. And this is what Paul says about them. Your knowledge has puffed you up. And in its place, I would prefer prefer that you would have agape, God's love, because love always builds up. As this whole letter has been, you know, in one way or another about love coming into the to the, you know, the, to the program that was the church in Corinth. He gets to chapter 12, we talked about it last week. Um, uh, the, one of the greatest things that God gives the church are their spiritual gifts, and the Corinthians had figured out a way to make that a mess. Because instead of just being you know, pleased with what God had graced them with, they had you know, kind of formed this, uh, you know, this grouping of gifts that were the more desired gifts, and they said, we want those, and if we can't have them, we're gonna hate the people who do and complain about the ones we have. So Paul's trying to explain to them, hey man, same team. We all play a role. We're all parts in this great body that is, you know, the church. Everybody do what they're supposed to do and this thing will work fine. And then he kind of pauses. Not kind of, he totally pauses. He, He actually picks up his train of thought in the next chapter, chapter 14. But here in chapter 13, it's like one of those moments. Who remembers growing up and everything's going crazy in your house? All the kids are fighting, mom's yelling, uh, and and dad, or maybe it's vice vice versa, you know, mom, whoever. But someone comes in and there is a loud, hey! Anybody remember the loud hey? It was, uh, it was, in my house, I was the (laughs) hayer. I would walk in and my kids would all be going at it with each other and you know, Eleanor would be telling one to stop and, the other, and she's certainly in control of things, but every once in a while, there just had to be that loud, gruff, scary, hey. And everybody stops, we go to neutral corners, right? And we start, Eleanor and I, trying to figure out what's going on here. And this is Paul's loud hey, here in the book of 1 Corinthians. Let me give you a better way, he starts at the end of verse, uh, chapter 12. In verse, chapter one, verse 13, oh no, you know what I meant. Chapter 13, verse one. He says, man, let me, let me explain to you the primacy, the, 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 the prominence that love is meant to have in anything that you do. Because like, that's the problem here. What this church needs now is love. And he says, listen, you can have all these gifts. And he goes on. We can read them together. We learned it last week. Anything without love is nothing. In chapter 13, verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men, one of the gifts uh, that was given were the tongues, spiritual tongues, the tongues of men or of angels, if I speak anything, basically. But I have not love, what am I? A noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. Everything that I'm doing doesn't count if love's not involved. If I have prophetic powers and I understand not just some mysteries, but all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and if I have all faith, faith so big it actually moves the mountains, but I don't have love, what do I got? Nothing, and I actually am nothing. When it comes to God's economy, I don't register. 
one way or the other. He says, if I give all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, then nothing is gained. Nothing happened, happened from my great sacrifice. Uh, I trust the Corinthians and us, we're, we're already picking up what Paul's putting down, right? Yeah, love matters. Anything without love is nothing. What comes next is probably the most famous part of this chapter, certainly, uh, and, and probably the most famous part of 1 Corinthians. If you've heard verses from verse, or 1 Corinthians, you've heard these ones. There's four of them. They are uh, 15 qualifiers of what love is and what love is not. There's eight negatives, there's seven positives, uh, and each one of them describes this agape love that God wants us to have for him and for each other as we live this life uh, with him. Uh, each one of them, it doesn't, it's not gonna look that way in English, they're gonna look like adjectives. Anybody like literature and, and grammar and all that stuff, who like doing that? Three of you, okay, well the rest of you just don't pay attention to this part, but the other three, um, yeah, the, the English words that we see in our translation look like adjectives. Love is patient. Love is kind, right? Describes love. But they're, they're, none of them are adjectives in the Greek. They're all verbs. So a better translation might be like this. Love patience. Love kinds. Or love does patience. And love does kindness. Every one of them a verb. Why? Because love... DC Talk famously sang, is a verb. They're an old Christian group. Look it up. Google. Go ahead right now. Love is a verb. It's something that we do. It's not just something that we mentally assent to or cognitively understand. It's, it's what we do. It's who we are. It's, listen, Christians are, you know, uh, I think we talked about this last week. We're famous for understanding things and not doing them. I tell you guys all the time, I've never preached an original message ever. Like, like I'm not going to mine you know, new territory with this message. I'm gonna to talk to you about love. Anybody heard about love in a church before? You know why we keep talking about it? Because we're great at understanding it and lousy at doing it. Because we think it's this, this cognitive exercise. Let me just get this. Let me get my theology straight. Who cares if it changes how I live? Understand this about your church, our church, God's church. This is the place where we come in once a week and we put the hood up we figure out what's wrong, and we try to fix things. Do things differently. Not just pad our stats in terms of theology, you know, 101. We want to we become more like Jesus, and that is active action. James put it this way, you know the words. Be not just doers of the word, but be hearers as well. And so in so doing, don't deceive yourselves. I was driving my truck this week. Uh, it's, it's fairly new to me. It was, I, I bought it used, but uh, things still pop up on my dash that I've never seen before. This warning came up, low oil pressure. I don't even know what that means. I'm not mechanical. I think what it means is that there's low oil. And so uh, anybody ever looked at something on your dashboard and been like, huh, interesting, and then uh, kept driving for the next 100,000 miles? Okay. All of us, right? Guilty at one time or another. Um, on this particular day, I read this, and for whatever reason, it registered with me in such a way that I remembered that the place that I had my oil changed will top my fluids off for free, and I drove straight there. Okay, so I, I saw the sign, and I acted. And if more Christians would see the signs that God lays out for them in life and act on them, there'd be less trouble in this world. 
and certainly less trouble in our own lives. Are you with me? So I'm throwing up the signal. We need to love better. It's on your dash today, people. Let's go do this and not just think this. One more thing about these verbs before we get to them. They're all present active indicative verbs, which is, you know, whatever it is, most of us. But what it basically means is that they're ongoing. They don't stop. Uh, it, it, there's no days off when it comes to love. So I think some people have this idea as, as, as love is like this thing that I grab from somewhere and I put it into the mix and now everything's better. No, it's not meant to be this thing you grab from anywhere. It's meant to be you. You are meant to embody the love of God. It is an always characteristic, like you're breathing, and you're sleeping, and you're eating. It's, it's, it's the spiritual rhythm of our lives. We are God's love, or are meant to be, to each other. We do love always, present, active, indicative. Now, do we do love always? No, we do not, and that's why our Bibles have these passages like this one we're about to read. Can you stand with me real quick and we'll read these four verses together, it'll go fast. Many of them familiar. It goes like this, starting in verse four. Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat, 15 verbs. It's gonna take us three weeks to get through them all. We should start. The first thing you read there uh, is basically this. God's love is unusually patient. I wrote unusually there because there's like a modicum of patience that's just kind of expected across the human spectrum. Is everybody with me? Like, you know, if you're not just a complete maniac, you can have a little patience, you know, in almost any situation. You understand, we, you know, most of us grew up with a parent uh, who taught us some manners and, and, and helped us understand that we're not the only people in the world. And, and so we're able, you know, just in general to be patient. But every one of us has that line. Where's yours? Right? And it's funny, with different people, it's a different line. Uh, someone told me this once, we're way more loving towards strangers than we are to our own family members. Run a check in your life and see if that isn't true. Um, so our line with people we don't know might be up here, and our line with our, our kids or our spouse might be somewhere down here. I don't know how it got there, <laughs> but uh, it's where it is. Uh, so, so whatever your usual patience is, what, what, what Paul is telling the Corinthians, hey man, God's love goes beyond that. God's love is unusually patient. The Greek word is the word makrothumeo. Macro, what do you think of when I say macro? Big, right? Or in this case, long. Thumeo is the Greek word for temper. So what, what Paul's basically saying here is not the English word patience, he's saying long-tempered. Long fuse, got one? Yeah, some of you are shaking your head. <laughs> I'll have you stand. If you don't, anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's fair. And, and like I said, it just depends. Uh, my algorithm uh, spits out certain videos for me to watch when I'm on YouTube. And uh, the one they sent me this week was uh, Broken TV Dad Prank. 
I don't know how I got that one, but there's basically, if you've seen these, there's basically a slide that you can put up on a big LED television that makes it look like something has hit the television and has cracked the screen and caused it all to go, right? And so kids will put this slide up, you know, this YouTube video that lasts for 10 minutes up, and then fake like they've been playing ball in the house, and then they'll invite their father down to the rec room uh, to see what his reaction is. And this one that I watched, uh, the mother was in the corner taping. She's, she's hidden behind and just has her phone out like this. And I was gonna show these in uh, church, but I can't. Because the, the, the reaction to these things happening is so instantly nuclear, right? It's all the words at once. There's couches be, being tossed. There's kids running around the room as this grown man freaks out over, you know, uh, what has not even happened, right? And, and in some of them, the mother has to come out from where she's hiding to slow the guy down before they have to call the cops. <laughs> ha, 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 dad, it's just a slide. He's still mad. Anybody been there? Been the subject of the joke? He's even madder now because you've filmed this and you're going to put it on YouTube for some pastor in Florida. <laughs> to reference in his sermon. <laughs> Listen, man, we are volatile, all of us. Powder kegs in certain relationships. We get to our line and it's over. Patience is gone. Anger, rage is revealed. We need to slow down. God's love is unco- uncommonly, unusually patient. That's why James write this. We read it last week, but let's read it again because we need to review. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, right? And then slow to become angry. And he gives the reason for the anger part because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're going to wreck a relationship, almost always it's come from angry words, uh, angry passive aggression, Angry this, angry that. And if you could just slow down and, and evaluate more lovingly the circumstances and, and inject instead of your angry tirade, your loving forgiveness, your willing you know, compromise. Things just go better. I'm not teaching you new stuff. You know that. But Paul says to Corinth and says to us, slow down. Macrothemeo, have a long fuse. Take some deep breaths, like our middle schoolers were taught on a recent missions trip this past summer. Um, practice the pause. What a great thing to tell a seventh grader. Hey, junior, practice the pause. Before you launch and freak, just give some room. I will make room, right? Give some room for the love of God to seep in. God's encouragement to Cain in Genesis chapter four is he actually is pictured you know, in that passage behind Cain and asking Cain, hey man, what are you doing? Don't you see that sin is crouching at your door? What's God begging Cain for? Some time. Hey bud, I see what you're about to do. You're about to commit the first murder, murder against your own brother. Slow down. We move too fast. Just real quick before I go on to these next ones, uh, 
I read this in one of the uh, texts that I was referencing this week. Uh, it talked about how patience is not just, you know, the absence of anger. Um, patience is also, um, you know, having good timing, like knowing when the right time is to do something. Isn't that true? Like there's, there's timing in cooking and in, in building things and in, you know, whatever. I mean, there's, just, there's right times for things and there's right times in love. Sometimes in love, we, we come on too strong. And we end up making the person who's frustrated more frustrated because we're trying to fix things. And our intentions are good. Anybody ever had great intentions but just mistimed their application? Found out this past week that my little sister Erin has been diagnosed for the fourth time with cancer. Uh, This time it's carcinoma. It's in her skin. Uh, It's been uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma twice. And about five, six years ago, it was breast cancer. Um, if you have a cancer patient in your family, you know this recurrence thing is a part of it. And every time it comes, uh, it gets a little more dire because each one's worse than the last. So I'm talking with my mom about my, my little sister, who I love. Didn't always, huh. but uh, uh, I love her to death now. I love her. I love her. And I'm talking to my mom. She's letting me know the story. Why? Because Aaron's just not ready to talk to me about it. And I say, Mom, what should I do? And she's like, give her some time. Give her some space. And so I said, well, mom, that's wrong. And I immediately started calling her. And I kept calling like nine times in a row until she finally answered. And I said, why don't you want to talk to me? Is that what I did? Some of you are like, Mark, you're totally taking me out of the story. That's not what I did. Of course I gave her some space. I used the technology that God has blessed us with to text her and say, sis, I love you. And I don't know when the right time is going to be for me to be injected into this story. But I'm here for you. However you need me. And she knows that I mean that because that's the love that we share. And so when it's ready or when you're ready and it's time, I'm down, man. Love is patient, certainly when it comes to anger, but love is patient and seeks to be on time. The next thing is this one. Uh, God's love is uncommonly kind. God's love is uncommonly kind. Again, all of us have baseline kindness, Right? We all got Chick-fil-A kindness, my pleasure, right? We've all been taught to say sir, no sir, maybe you weren't. I, I grew up in the north, that wasn't a thing. When I got to Texas, everybody called me sir. I was like, is this a thing? And they're like, yes, we teach our kids to say sir and no sir. Good, nice, nice job. You have base level kindness. But life will take you past the base level kindness. You'll be on hold with the person that you're trying to get satisfaction from for whatever's wrong in your world. And they will take you way past your patience and therefore your kindness. And you'll start saying things that as a Christian man or woman, you wouldn't want your pastor in the room to hear, right? So would your pastor. Anyway, uh, uh, we, we have to have a, a different understanding of kindness. We have to have God's kindness. Uh, this word kind is krestuomai. Uh, it, it comes from the word for useful, What a great word to have kind of behind the scenes of kindness. Because kindness at its core is useful. It's not damaging or destructive, it's useful. I'm seeking to be useful, I'm putting you first and however I'm most useful to you, that's how I wanna be, I wanna be kind in ways that feel kind to you. Kind love gives without receiving. It's a, a kindness just because. Anybody ever done something kind for someone and they ask you why and you're like, just because I love you. And this is how I wanted to show it. From time to time, we'll send our kids money and they'll be like, what's the catch? 
I can't pay this back because we've made them pay back other money. But anyway, they'll say, what's the catch? And we'll be like, no, this is just us loving you. It's not even Christmas. I know, isn't that cool? You didn't have to wait till December. Have a great weekend. We do kindness. We show kindness as a way of showing our love. Paul wrote it this way to his church in Ephesus. He says, be kind to one another. And he, he qualifies it. He says, be tenderhearted and forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love those two words. They're kind of you know, uh, uh, attached to what kindness is. First of all, kindness is compassionate. It's tenderhearted. It's others focused. Um, it, it, it seeks to, uh, it, to be eager to do for. Um, Last week, a kid from my first youth group that I was a youth pastor in, in Illinois, his name's Jeremy, he came and sat right there as I was preaching the first service, and then uh, he, he offered, you know, he wanted to go to lunch, and so I was like, great, we're going to go to lunch, why don't you meet us at the place we're going to eat lunch, and, uh, and so uh, I came, took Eleanor with me, and our two sons came, and it was Jeremy, and, and we went to have a steak at Roadhouse, because that's where we like to get them, and uh, I sat down, and we, we go through the whole process, and I turned to the lady, right, because there's four members of my family here, and then this, you know, person who I knew as a teenager, who's a very successful businessman now, but he's sitting across from me, and I said, hey, and when, the, when it's time for the check, make sure you give it to me, right? Because fellas, fight for the check? Come on, it's like a, it's like a man thing. We fight for the check. And, uh, and he just, Jeremy, my buddy, turns to me and says, no, already taken care of. You were late. <laughs> right? And there would have been a time where I would have made a bigger stink about that and been kind of mad about him being kind to me like that. But now I'm like, you know what? Because who's ever said this to someone as they've protested your kindness? You can't do that. And what have you told them? You will rob me of the blessing of loving you in the way that God wants me to love you right now. So I've learned to knock it off. If you want to take me to lunch, I'll let you. Go ahead, have fun. (laughs) And I'd said, thank you, which is the right thing to do in the midst of kindness being expressed. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. Forgiving, come on, man. There's just love and kindness all throughout forgiving. Turning that other cheek, being ready to restore. I was uh, reading this week, and I read the story of two guys who meet on a mountain ledge. It's only this wide. One's going this way, the other's going that way. And they try to figure out how they can kind of, you know, hug each other and get around each other. And finally, it comes to the, you know, to the mind of the, the one. This isn't going to work. And so what does he do? He lays down on the ledge. And because there's no other place for this guy to put his feet, he lets the other guy walk on him so that he can head in his direction, okay? And I thought, what a a great picture of what forgiveness is. It's laying down. It's a longer conversation. I'm not telling everybody to be someone's literal mat, okay? But a lot of times in life, that's what it takes for our relationship to head in a better direction. Someone lay down on the path and let the other one walk. That's what kindness does. It's compassionate, it's forgiving. Next comes the eight verbs. We're not gonna get to them all. The eight verbs that are don'ts. These are the don'ts when it comes to love. God's love is unusually patient. God's love is uncommonly kind, but God's love refuses to envy what others have. It says there in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not envy. Kind of a weird one as I was reading. I was like, really? I mean, sure, we shouldn't envy. But what does love and envy have to do with things? Well, envy is a love killer. It erases love. Envy is is the beginning of so many of the sins in our Bibles. Did you know that? Go back to the first one. What made uh, Eve choose the apple? 
uh, Satan had convinced her that God had something that she didn't. And if she would only eat of this tree, she would have what God had. And envy led to the first sin. Envy led to the sin of Cain as he murdered his brother Abel. Abel's sacrifice had been received by God. Cain's had been rejected. And so he became murderously angry at his brother for what God had given him and he had lacked. Joseph and his brothers, who remembers that at the end of the book of Genesis? I mean, that's just envy all over the place. Their dad liked him more than them, and so they faked his death and sold him into slavery. You may have had some problems growing up with your brothers and sisters, but I'm trusting they didn't sell you as a slave to some Egyptian traders passing by. Envy's the root of so many of the greater sins. It's the Greek word zaleo, and it uh, is the word that uh, they use in the Greek for boiling. Boiling over. It's like the kettle of potatoes that I forget's on the stove. Anybody ever boil potatoes and, and you find out that you've forgotten them because you hear the and all the, oh sorry, all the, all the splashes of what's boiling over, you go out there and what's, what do you got? You still got potatoes, but you got half of the cauldron that is the boiling water all over your kitchen and a mess is the result. Envy makes a mess. When it boils over, it results in a mess. When I'm jealous of what someone is or what someone has, I reduce them to rivals. And consequently, I only want the worst for them. I want them to lose, because I want me to win. Ever said something like that to someone? He's so handsome, I hate that guy. Anybody ever said that? He's so good at golf, I can't stand that guy. Ha, 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 really? Really, ha, ha, ha? Or is there a little something in there? That if you could see them kind of knock down a few pegs, maybe fall on their face a little bit, have a bad hair day every once in a while, right? you might feel a little bit better about you. Let me me finish this one by just saying this. If someone is more or has more, here's what you need to understand about that. That's at the behest of God. Okay, so instead of you being like all here with that kind of thing to where envy would drive you towards hatred and not loving, be all here with that kind of thing. And recognize that God has certainly blessed you. Envy usually just blots out all the blessings that we've received, right? Because we're not focused on them, we're focused on those. And so if we go here, we're like, wait a minute, I'm cool. God has blessed me richly. I don't need more. I am satiated, satisfied in what God has provided me. And if God has chosen to provide them for, with more, I will rejoice and honor the God who has chosen to do that in his will instead of being jealous of what God has done for them. Doesn't that sound a little better? Let it sink in, hopefully it will. But that's how we should roll. Love is patient, love is kind, love won't envy what others have. And conversely, in this last one, uh, love refuses to create environments where envy might possibly occur. Let me explain to me what that, that means as we go into this next one. God's love doesn't let boasting lead to rude arrogance. It's a long one because I had to put three things in one, okay? But read that, that next phrase as Paul continues his description with these verbs. He says, God's love does not boast. 
So if you want to put that in a positive verbal form, God's love humbles. God's love stays low. God's love doesn't toot your own horn. God's love doesn't boast. And because it doesn't boast, it doesn't create in itself arrogance, which, left unchecked, is always rude. Have you ever been rude? You know who you were thinking about when you were being rude? Not the person you're being rude to. You were thinking about you. And you got all inflated with your sense of self and your rights and what you deserve. And therefore, it made it okay for you to act like you did. Because you mattered more. Talking yourself up increases the, uh, the arrogance levels in your life. I love this word, boasting. It's uh, the Greek word, peri Um I love the word, uh, uh, arrogance, it's the Greek word phaseo, it's a hard one, phaseo uh, uh, especially. It, it comes from uh, uh, the, the blacksmith shop, okay? The phaseo was the big thing that you would pump like this to put air on the fire so it would get hotter and you could work the metal. It was the bellows. What a great word for arrogance, the bellows. You're a blowhard. You're a windbag, just talking about yourself all the time, thinking about yourself all the time. And listen, when we puff up, it's the same word from that chapter eight conversation, knowledge puffs up but love builds up. When we puff up, there isn't room for someone else. Who's been on the Southwest flight with the empty seat next to you and you put your backpack in it and kind of bowed up hoping no one sees it? It's because you don't want there to be anybody else messing with your comfort, your three-hour experience of leg room. And so you kind of bow up. I, your pastor might have done this. God taught me my lesson because an entire plane of people have passed me in my largeness, forsaking the chair next to me. I thought I was done. They were getting ready to shut the, the doors. And, uh, you know, I was, I was like, man, we did it. And I kind of fist bumped the guy next to me who was hoping the same thing. And then the doors remained open for one more passenger who was twice the size of me. And he comes down the aisle, and he's looking around, and I'm like, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. And he says it. Don't you hate these words? Is that seat taken? No. Backpack under the chair in front of me, no leg room. Huge male next to me, no armchair. I did this for three hours on my way to Chicago. So I learned my lesson. Next Southwest flight, the first small woman that came down the aisle. I was like, ma'am, can I help you with your bag? And I threw it up in the overhead. Here's your chair. Because I'm, I'm not sitting next to, you know, yeah. Rick Warren wrote this in A Purpose Driven Life. He said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's what love does. It just refuses to think of me, at least as it pertains to putting others ahead of me. Love that. Um, I wrote this down. God's love packs light, stays small, and always provides space for others. If boasting is a, a sign of arrogance, and arrogance makes us rude, uh, rudeness is our self-absorption unchecked. Like, we have to teach children don't interrupt. Anybody remember teaching your kids that? Hey, honey, you, 
you're, I'm talking with your, with your teacher or with your mom, and, and you can't just come up and interrupt. And it's, it just fries the brain of every child who hears it for the first time. What do you mean? Here's why. At the age of two or three, we're the only people in the world. Now, some of us never grow out of that. I'll pray for you. But certainly at two or three, it is just news to us that we aren't the point. And when someone tells us to wait, we have to learn these manners. We have to learn what it is not to be rude. And all rudeness is, is injecting self over others. It can come out in all kinds of ways. It can come out sounding kind, but it's still rude because it's rooted in the arrogance and boasting that love is not. Uh, we'll be doing this throughout the series. You could take this, this four-verse uh, run of what love is, and you could change the word love to Jesus. And you will find that Jesus is all these things. He embodied every one of these qualities. He did every one of these verbs. Because was Jesus patient? And is he still patient? We better hope so. Jesus is patient. Is Jesus kind? Yeah, read his book. He's always doing and being useful for others. Did Jesus ever envy anybody? No, and when he was put in positions where he could have tooted his own horn, he refused it. Was Jesus ever boastful or arrogant or rude? No. He was harsh sometimes, but justly, rightly, at the perfect time, saying what needed to be said to people who wouldn't hear it otherwise, unless he said it the way he did. Yeah, Jesus nailed agape love, and he wants us to do it too. So here's my question for you as we go. Are you patient? Slow down. <laughs> Be patient with answering the question about patience. Because you might go to the people that you're easily patient with and you haven't considered the people that you're not. Are you patient? Are you kind? Were you kind on the ride here? Are you envious of the person who got the promotion over you? Of, of the one uh, you know, who is uh, uh, chosen for whatever over you? Are you full of yourself, puffed up in such a way that you boast and you're arrogant and there's no room for anybody else and you're rude and you're ruining relationships because you're the most important thing in them? Here's what God says, hey man, my love's different. It's unusual, it's uncommon. Make room for it. Make room for me and my love. It'll Listen, look at me. Mm, it'll change your lives if you would only choose his love. Let's ask him to make room. Stand with us as we sing.